Welcome to the Christ Walk Church Podcast. Continue on with part two of the hidden option. And uh, if you've got your Bibles or a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me, swipe with me to the book of Judges, chapter 7. Now, Judges is in the Old Testament. The Bible's divided into these two big sections. You've got the Old Testament at the beginning and the, and the New Testament um, at the, the end, this, the second part. And Judges is near the front, near the beginning of the Old Testament. And so we're going to land there in chapter 7 in just a moment. But before we do that, I, I've got a question for you. Have, have any of you ever faced a situation in your life that you just didn't quite feel prepared for? Anybody, you're laughing because you're like, yeah, like every, every day, you know, some of you are like, well, I got up and, and had to get dressed this morning. And, you know, um, for example, uh, uh, six months ago to the day, I became the pastor of Christ Walk Church. You know, that's not why I said that. I didn't say that to get an applause, but I mean, you know, I'll take it. And the place is still standing. Some of you lost money today because you're like, I guarantee you, that dude's going to burn the joint down inside of six months. So, yeah. So whoever won all that money, just put it in the envelope, drop it in the silver box in the back. (laughs) We'll be good. But six months ago, I stepped into this role. And I got to be honest, and and my wife can attest, um, being the lead pastor of a church, like, wasn't even on the list of things that I thought that I would be doing that, that, I, that I wanted to do. And, and even though I was in ministry, like you guys know, many of you know, I came from the realm of children and family ministry. And I, I really thought that that's what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. And, but God opened these doors for, for me to step through and, and, and to walk through. And, and sometimes like, or not just sometimes, a lot of the time over the past six months, I've, I've woken up in the morning and I'm getting ready, you know, I'm brushing my teeth and I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm thinking, what, what are you doing? Like, you, you can't do this. Like, you're, you're not a good enough leader to lead this church. You don't, you don't know the Bible well enough. You don't, you don't preach well enough. You don't pray enough. Like, you don't have the business mind for it. Like, all of the things that it takes. Like, you have none of those things. Like, you are completely and totally unprepared and, and inadequate to accomplish what God has placed you to accomplish. And, and while your situation and the things that you face in your life, it, it might not, it's probably not the exact same thing as mine. Like you're, you know, you're, you're not setting out to, to pastor a church for the first time or anything, but, but chances are you felt those kinds of feelings and had those kinds of thoughts and, and run the gamut of those kinds of emotions at some point or another in your life. And, and maybe like for some of you, it's, you're getting ready to start a brand new school year. And maybe you have those thoughts and those feelings, or, or maybe you're, you're getting ready to start a new job. You're beginning a new marriage. We've got some people here that they're getting ready to welcome a baby into the world. They're first time parents. And man, like, 
I just, I mean, I remember what that was like nearly 13 years ago. And, and, you know, you get them home from the hospital and then all the family leaves, you know, everybody's there and it's a buzz for a few days and then everybody goes home and it's you and your wife and your baby. And you're like, well, now what? <laughs> and so you get down and you pray and you're like, Lord, help me not to mess this up because I ain't got a clue what I'm doing. It's not like they come with like a battery pack and an owner's manual. Like you just got to kind of, you know, figure it out. Maybe you've, maybe you've been diagnosed with a health issue and you're, you're facing some surgeries or you're, you're facing some procedures or you're on some new medication and you're just thinking like, man, I don't know if I've got what it takes to see this through. Like I just am not prepared for this. See, even when we enter into these kinds of seasons in our life, even when we pray with great prayers of faith and expectation, a lot of the time I've discovered things don't turn out the way that we hoped they would. Things don't turn out the way that we expected them to turn out. And so, so what do we do when we find ourselves in that situation. You know, last week we talked about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and that, that her hidden option and that the hidden option for all of us is Jesus Christ. And so today when we're talking about the fact that we're facing these situations in life that seem overwhelming and, and adverse and impossible, what do we do? What is our hidden option? option. It doesn't seem like we're able to make good decisions. It doesn't seem like the outcome is going to be what we want it to be. Everything's not lining up the way that, it, that we hoped that it would. So when we're faced with that situation, what options then do we have available to us? And that made me think about this story that I read recently about George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver, many of you recognize that name. You'll, you'll know that he was, he was a great scientist post-Civil War here in the United States of America. He was an African-American gentleman. And he was actually hired to come and work at the Tuskegee Institute, now Tuskegee University in Tuskegee, Alabama, by a guy by the name, many of you will recognize this name as well, Booker T. Washington. All right, we're talking about some big time players in this field, in this realm. And so, so... George Washington Carver, he, he was brought on staff at the Tuskegee Institute and he oversaw the agricultural department. And stories would, would tell about George Washington Carver that um, at one point in his life, he prayed for God to reveal to him the secrets of the universe so that he could pass them along to his students. God, reveal to me the secrets of all the universe. And God, who I believe has a, a good sense of humor, rather than revealing the secrets of the universe to George Washington Carver, he revealed to him the secrets of the peanut. <laughs> really, God? I asked for the universe and you give me the peanut? And so George Washington Carver, he could have looked at that and said, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. I asked for this and you gave me this. There's no way, God. But instead, George Washington Carver, he looked at his limitation and he saw it as an opportunity. 
And over the course of his lifetime, George Washington invented, or George Washington Carver, he invented or came up with 300 unique and individual uses for the peanut, one of which was not peanut butter, because that had already been invented. Imagine, imagine if God has 300 uses for the peanut, what does he want to do in your situation? takes a change of perspective, a shift in what we focus on. And so that brings us to our passage in Judges for today. So before we jump into the passage and, and the story of what we're going to be talking about, let me, let me kind of set up Judges for you so that you guys will know what is going on. This is after the death of Joshua. So, so Moses, um, Moses gets the Israelites, the Hebrews, he leads them out of Egyptian captivity. You know, they cross the Red Sea, they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, they get to the edge of the promised land that God has given, given them. And because of Moses' disobedience back in the desert, he's not allowed to enter. Moses dies, and so he passes the torch along to the next leader, and it's Joshua. And so Joshua leads the people into the promised land, and then many years go by, and Joshua is now dead. And so we find ourselves in, um, in, in the narrative of the book of Judges. This is post-Joshua. And so the Israelites have, since, since they are no longer under the, the godly leadership of Joshua, they have now decided to turn their back on God who delivered them from Egypt and brought them into the promised land. And they've started to worship false gods or idols. And then what happens is, is because, because of their worship of false gods and, and idols, God gets mad at the Israelites. And, and so he says, fine, I'm going to take my hand of protection off of you. And then there's these other nations and people groups that are, that are around Israel in the promised land. And God allows them to come in with their armies and, and to oppress the Israelites. And they take their crops and they take their livestock and they take their women and their children and their slaves and on and on and on, all of their wealth and everything. And constantly they oppress. And then the Israelites, they get in such a bad way that then they fall down on their knees and they repent and they cry out to God, will you please help us? Please help us. Please say we're so sorry for turning our back on you. We're so sorry for worshiping these idols. And then God begins to raise up these champion warriors, also known as judges, to come in and begin to lead the people in the ways of the Lord. And then God begins to bless the people again. And then everything becomes right in the world of the Israelites once more. And then those judges die and the people, they turn their back on God. And they start to worship these false idols and, and false gods. And then God, in his anger, allows the people, the surrounding armies and people groups to come in and oppress the Israelites once more. And it's this vicious cycle over and over and over. And that is what the book of Judges is all about. And so when we pick up with today's judge, the, the content of today, we actually, um, we learn of this guy. His name is Gideon, is the judge that we're going to talk about today. We discover him actually in Judges chapter 6. And the Bible communicates that the people of Midian, the Midianites, they had come against the Israelites during this time because Israel had turned their back on God once again. The previous judge had, had died, and so Israel turned their back on God, and so God allows the Midianites to come in and oppress the Israelites. And it had gotten so bad that the, the Israelites were fleeing up into the hills, and they were, they were finding caves and holes so that they could hide in. And that the Midianites, they were coming in, and they were taking all of the crops, all of the livestock, all of the wealth, everything that the Israelites knew and had 
to, in, in order to live, and the Midianites were completely and totally destroying it all, 100%. And so when we, when we learn about this man named Gideon, he's actually hiding down inside of a wine press, and he's threshing wheat. He's separating the, the, the good part, the edible part, the usable part from the chaff, um, down in this wine press in order to keep it away from the Midianite people so that he can provide food for his family. And so he's hiding himself. And an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, you're going to save the people of Israel. God is with you. And he says, what do you mean God is with us? If God is with us, then why am I hiding down in this wine press? You know, and the angel says, no, God is going to use you to deliver the Israelites. And so immediately Gideon starts with the excuses of why that's not possible. He says, my people are the smallest people group of all of Israel, and I am the lowest member in my entire family. What do you mean God is going to use me? But the angel confirms it with Gideon, and so Gideon decides he's going to throw out a few tests. Like, I want to be sure, like, seeing an angel from the Lord tell me because, you know, that happens every day, right? You know, like an angel comes to us in visible form and says, God's going to do this through your life. Like, I'm sorry, God, that's not good enough. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take this wool blanket and I'm going to put it out. And so tonight I, I, want, I want the dew to soak up the wool blanket, but I want the ground to be completely dry. And God says, okay. And so Gideon goes to sleep and he wakes up the next day. He's able to wring out this wool blanket and fill up a bucket with the water. And Gideon's going, you know, I'm still not really sure about this. So God, here, here's what I'm going to do. Like, I, I get that you sent your angel to me. I get that you did this first thing with the wool blanket. I'm going to lay the wool blanket out again. And just to be sure... Just to be sure, tonight, I want the wool blanket to stay dry, but I want all the ground around it to be wet. And so he goes to sleep and wakes up the next morning, and sure enough, the wool blanket is dry, the ground all around it is wet. And so Gideon's like, okay, you know, that's three signs. Like, I guess, I guess that God is calling me to really do this. And so he rallies the troops and he puts out the call and he sounds the alarm and he brings them all together. And he's got a whopping 32,000 people in the army. 32,000. Now that may seem like a big number to you until you read that the people of Midian are like locusts in the valley. And their camels are like the number of grains of sand on the seashore. Like that's what looking at the army of Midian is like. A swarm of locusts that have come in to devour everything. Their camels, the number of camels that they have are, are uncountable. And Gideon's got these 32,000 people and already it's not looking too good. And so Gideon's rounding the troops. You know, he's like got them in the locker room before the game. And he's like, men, giving them the old pep talk. Here's what we're going to do. And then God says, he taps Gideon on the shoulder and he goes, wait a minute, you, you got too many people here. You got too many soldiers. And Gideon's like, but I thought that you called me to, we did the blanket and everything. And, <laughs> and God's like, you got too many. So Gideon's like, well, what do I need to do? And, and God says, well, you know, according to the laws of war, and you can read these in Deuteronomy, that if anyone's scared, they need to be able to go home. And so Gideon's like, okay. So he says, men, if anyone's here scared to go face the Midianites, 
And you can go back home to your families. And right off the bat, 22,000 men leave. <laughs> I mean, they're not dumb. It's locusts and camels, the number of you know, grains of sand on the seashore. Come on. And so Gideon, he surrounds his own, he's got these 10,000 people, and he's like, well, you know, uh, it's not really what I expected, not what I was hoping for, but all right. And so he gathers them all together, and, you know, he gives them the old, like, you know, win one for the Gipper speech again. He's, you know, he's getting, getting them ready and, and fired up, you know, and I, I, he probably put on a kilt and, like, smeared some blue paint on his face, and he was like, they can take our land, but they'll never take our freedom, you know, probably something like that is what I'm imagining. And then, and then God taps him on the shoulder again and says, Gideon, you got too many people. And Gideon's like, I bet you're going to give George Washington Carver a peanut, right? <laughs> you know, like, I see where this is going, God. Like, it's, it's foreshadowing, you know. And so Gideon's like, okay, like, you know, what, what do I need to do? And he says, take them down to the river, all 10,000 of them, and tell them to take a drink. So I'm going to separate them for you there. And so, so um, 93 or 9,700 of the men, of, of these soldiers that are left, 9,700 of them, they, they get down and, and they bend over like this and they drink from the river like this. Go ahead and get a picture of my bald spot. <laughs> Just make it happen. I know it's going to be on social media this week. Like, caption this. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. And so they drink with their face in the water while only 300 of them cup the water in their hand and bring it up and lap like a dog. Now, the reason this is a problem is because I don't want to go into battle with anybody who is going to take a drink from the stream and all of a sudden they've, they've removed all of their awareness of everything that's going on around them because their face is in the water. So, so what God is doing is he's whittling down for Gideon and he's giving him the most, the most trusted, the most skilled, the most advanced warriors that he has. And that turns out to be a mere 300 soldiers. And then in verse 9, this is, what, this is what the Lord tells Gideon. And verse 9 is what I want to focus in. This is a big passage. But verse 9, I think, is one of the key, the pivotal verses. It says, that night, after he'd whittled the army down to 300, that's all that Gideon had left. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up. Go down and attack the camp of the Midianites, because I will give them to you. Then something really interesting happens. The angel of the Lord has come to Gideon. The wool blanket was wet. Then the wool blanket was dry. The army's been whittled down. And God tells him vocally, affirms it, confirms it in Gideon's spirit. Go and fight the Midianites and I will give them to you. And then God says, but if you're still unsure after all of this, take your servant and go and eavesdrop on what the soldiers are saying. And so Gideon obviously still unsure after all of those signs. He takes his servant Pura and they sneak down to the edge of the Midianite camp. And they hear two of the soldiers over, over talk, or talking about this, this dream that one of them has had. And, and one of them tells his dream to the other one. And he said, you know, last night I dreamed that a barley cake rolled into the camp and it, it squashed one of our tents, like leveled it flat to the ground. And the other one says, do you know what your, you know what your dream means? That barley cake is representative of Gideon and the people of Israel. And they're going to enter our camp 
and overthrow us. They're going to defeat us. And right then, that is when, after the fourth confirmation, that is when Gideon began to worship the Lord. And so he runs back to his 300 guys and he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're getting ready to go, go into battle. And they're looking at Gideon. They're like, dude, you're crazy, man. Don't you see? They're like locusts, bro. They're camels. Like we started counting and we lost count like in the millions. I mean, there's like so many of it going on and, and there's no way that we can do this. And Gideon's like, I've got a plan. And they're thinking like, cool, we're all going to have bazookas. And he's like, no, I'm going to give you a jar, a torch, and a trumpet. Can I change my mind? Can I be one of the, the 22,000 that went home because they were afraid at this point? Really? A jar and a torch and a trumpet? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide ourselves into groups, three groups of 100. And we're going to surround the Midianite camp in the middle of the night. And when I say go... We're going to break our jars and we're going to shine our torches and we're going to blow our trumpets and we're going to proclaim for the Lord and for Gideon. And God is going to go before us. See, the Lord had prophesied, Gideon, if you'll just do this, if you'll just obey me, that when you go to take on the Midianites, it's going to be as if you are fighting just one man, that army of locusts with all those camels whittled down to just one Man, 300 versus one, right? I like those odds. And so they go. They surround the camp. And in the middle of the night, as everyone's sleeping and they're delirious, and there's a shift change in the night watch. All of a sudden, all 300 encamped around that camp of the Midianites. They break their jars and they raise their torches and they blow their trumpets and they, they yell out for the Lord and for Gideon and the Midianites. They think that they are surrounded by this massive army. And so the Lord causes confusion in their camp. And you know what they start to do? They start to fight each other. They kill each other with their swords. They can't tell heads from tails and they're waking up and people are just going crazy and they're stabbing and slicing and, and killing each other. And, and the Bible says very clearly, it says that, that Gideon and his army, you know what they do? They stand their ground and they watch the Lord go forward and take care of it for them. Here's my takeaway from this. If you're taking notes, you might wanna write this down because I think it could be really meaningful to some people. And it's very simply this. Our areas of greatest limitation are opportunities for God's greatest glory. Our areas of greatest limitation are opportunities for God's greatest glory. The, the parts of our lives in which we lack in which we feel unprepared and in which we feel inadequate are the parts of our lives where God is wanting to do the most. He's wanting to use us to accomplish the most in our lives. Our areas of greatest limitation are God's opportunities for, great, for his greatest glory. And I know what you might be thinking about, but Pastor Blake, you, you don't understand my situation. You don't understand what I'm dealing with right now. You can't possibly fathom what it's like to be in my shoes. Yeah, well, what about David? Remember, he went out as just a little boy out into the battlefield to, to fight a highly trained and skilled military giant. He didn't have any armor. All he had was five rocks and a slingshot. 
And he looked at that giant and he said, you come at me with a spear and with a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he defeated the giant that day. What about, what about the widow of Zarephath who the prophet came to her and said, I need you to, I need you to bake me a cake. Make me a meal so that I can eat. And the, and the widow said, you don't understand. I'm down to my last bit of flour and my last bit of oil. And, and I'm going to go home and, and, and bake a meal for, for me and my son. And then we're just going to lay down and die. And he said, if you'll go and do this, then, then the Lord is going to impart something divine into that, into that jug of oil and that, 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 that cask of flour. And it's never going to run empty. It'll never run dry until the Lord brings rain on the earth. And so she did. And then God did. What about the disciples when they're faced with Jesus telling them, hey, go and feed all of these 5,000 men plus women and children. And they say, Jesus, that's impossible. All we have is this little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus takes it and he blesses it and he begins to multiply it. See, I may not understand your situation, but God does. And time and time throughout scripture, he's pointed out these areas in, in the life of Gideon and David and this widow and, and these disciples where God takes a little bit, a seemingly insignificant amount, an area of people's lives where, where they thought they were lacking, where they thought they didn't have enough. And God does countlessly over and above more than we could ever ask or think. He takes their areas of limitation and turns it into opportunities for his glory. Resources, knowledge, and skills are not what brings success. It's in each of these situations that, that the thing that made the difference was the presence of God, the working of God himself. That's what made the difference. Skills and knowledge and resources, they're needed, but they're only going to get you so far. When you face a situation in your life where the resources come up short, your skills fall short, your knowledge is lacking. That's where you've got to depend on God to come in and do the miraculous. Instead of considering all the reasons why these things won't work in our lives, let's start considering all the reasons why they will. When you face a seemingly impossible situation in your life, it takes a simple shift in your focus you move from the things that instead of focusing on what you don't have, you begin to focus on what God does have. It's just that simple. I'm going to stop looking at my own life, my own problems, and I'm going to start looking at the God that I serve. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're experiencing some financial troubles in your life. Be encouraged by Psalm 50, verse 10, for all the animals of the forest are mine and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Look, the Lord's got you. He doesn't care what the, the bank statement says. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got you. Resources aplenty. Depend on him. Maybe you're here today and, and you've got some, some marital conflict going on. Read Paul's words in Ephesians. Chapter four, verses two and three, it says, always be humble, gentle, and patient, accepting each other in love. You are joined together in your godly relationships with peace through the spirit. So make every effort to continue in this way. They may have said they don't love you anymore, 
They may have packed their stuff and moved out. It may seem hopeless. It may be like a great deal of lack in that area, but lean into the promises of God's word and depend on him. Maybe you're a parent here today and your kids are just knuckleheads. Take hold of this promise in Proverbs 22, verse six. Train your children to live the right way and when they are old, they will not stray from it. It may not look good right now, but keep on keeping on and just go through the process. Depend on God and the promises of his word and then let him work it out, right? Maybe you're facing a health issue. You got a terrible report from the doctor. You're facing some surgery. You've got procedures coming up, new medications. It's on and on and, and it seems pretty hopeless, Seems pretty hopeless. Take heart in Isaiah 53, 5, by his wounds, Jesus Christ, and the death that he suffered on the cross. We are healed. Lean into that promise today. Lean into the promises of God and his word. Knowledge, skills, and resources, that's our part. And we need to put those to good use. But when those fall short, we just do our part and then we step back and we wait on God to do his part. That's what it takes. You know, Paul, he wrote in 2 Corinthians, he talked about this affliction that he had. He called it a thorn in his side. We don't know exactly what it was but it was something that he prayed for on three different occasions for the Lord to remove from him. And, and the Lord never granted him that, that wish. The Lord never answered that prayer in his life. And so it was a, it was a, a, an, a physical weakness that Paul had. It was, it was something that, that Paul dealt with that, that held him back. It was, it was a struggle that took place. And this is what he wrote to the people of the church in Corinth about the conversation that he had with God. He said, but God said to me, first, or 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, but God said to me, my grace is enough for you. When you are weak, my power is made perfect in you. So I am very happy to brag about my weaknesses. Then Christ's power can live in me. For this reason, I'm happy when I have weaknesses, insults, hard times, sufferings, and all kinds of troubles for Christ. Because when I am weak, then I'm truly strong. You know why I think God whittled Gideon's army down to just 300 dudes? Because he didn't want Gideon or his men taking any of the credit. And I think a lot of times the Lord will allow us to lack in an area so that his glory can be revealed in and through us rather than us being able to say, look what I did. He wants to put us in a position where when we get through that thing on the other side, when, when we come out on the other side, we're able to say, look, look what God did. Man, like I didn't, like the resources, they, they weren't there. The, the knowledge, the skills, I didn't have any of that stuff. It was only God that made this happen because here's what I know is that our areas of greatest limitation are opportunities for God's greatest glory. And when we face situations like this, our hidden option is simple. 
trust God. Trust God. It doesn't have to make sense. Just trust God. Going out to fight an countless army with 300 guys, no weapons, torches, jars, and trumpets. That doesn't make sense. But Gideon and the men, they just had to trust God. Going out to take on a giant with no armor and a slingshot doesn't make sense. But they gotta trust God. When you're down to one meal, this applies for one meal. And rather than baking it for yourself, you make it and give it away to somebody else. That doesn't make sense. But that widow, that day, she had to just trust God. Trying to feed a multitude of people with a little boy's lunch doesn't make a lick of sense. But the disciples that day had to simply trust God. When you face situations in your life that are lacking, your only option, the hidden option, is to just trust God. Thank you for listening to the Christ Walk Podcast. For more information about Christwalk Church, please visit thechristwalk.com.